Well, I don't know if you know it, but a year ago today, this Sunday, uh, last year this was Saturday, but a year ago today, first time I got to preach to you guys. So, yeah, wow, thank you. (laughs) Didn't expect that, but thank you, I appreciate that. I'm glad to hear that, by the way. Uh, it means I may get to stay another week, so that's good. But um, anyhow, no, it's, it's been a great year. Of course, we haven't accomplished everything we'd love to, uh, but next year I'll probably say the same thing. But God's been really good to us, amen? So, uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, y'all don't get to do this, but I'm going to take the privilege and do it. Anyway, I'm, I'm asking for prayer uh, for my middle daughter today. Um, she's the one, she, her husband had a tragic accident at work and had a severe brain injury a few years back. And uh, he's gotten better enough now. Um, they couldn't go to church. He'd get dressed, he'd get ready, get to the parking lot, he'd have to try and go home because just can't be around people too much. And he told me the other day, he said, i got to have a purpose for, for doing something. And uh, so they started getting involved with a little church plant and uh, he started leading the worship because that's what he does. He's very good at that. And I've uh, been doing it for many, many years now. So, so they, and my daughter, the middle daughter, is the only one that has any musical ability to, to speak of, I, I guess is the right way to say it, amongst our kids especially. Uh, we gave them all piano lessons. She's the only one that actually practiced. And uh, so she can play piano. So she got involved playing piano with him. And, uh, and so now they're doing that together. So last night... We got this text from her, and this is why I'm asking you to pray for her. So, to, our new church has me singing tomorrow, like insisted and miked me. OMG. <laughs> Which, I got to tell her not to do that again, but anyway. <laughs> Y'all know I'm a terrible singer, right? I don't know what these people are smoking. Because none of us can sing. I mean, like, we all appreciate music, we, we love music, but none of us can sing. And uh, then she wrote, ha ha, I promise I'm terrible and I'm not being cute, modest, but whatever. And Janice wrote, well, Jesus turned water to wine. We'll pray he'll turn your wine into song. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. But then she wrote back this morning, today is our launch officially, if y'all don't keep the church in prayer. And we all said we pray and continue to pray and said thank you. Uh, we always figured if we abused our own kids that they could take it when somebody else tried to abuse them. So we, we, we don't give them much slack. But no, uh, it's truly, they're launching a new church today, uh, helping out with that. So I, I praise God for that. It's in Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, I pray that all that uh, goes very, very well. Um, and, and so uh, I, I say that just to kind of thank you all for letting us be part of your family and my family be part of your family. And indeed, uh, I guess they're, I don't know what time they started, but they're probably in the middle of all that right now. So I pray that that goes well. But listen, uh, it is, it's a joy this morning uh, just, just to be here. I mean, like I said, it, it's been a year. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, let me just say something about the, the, the committee that talked to me. Um, nobody lied. And that's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> um, usually the committees will lie to you, man. But they, they did their best to paint a good picture. I returned the favor. Told them all about me, so uh, hopefully I didn't leave anything out so far. I hadn't run into anything, but, uh, but you know, uh, it, I just am grateful that we're, we're able to be together. And, and, and the longer I'm here, the more I get a, a better f- a sense of or a better understanding of, would be a better word for it, 
some of the pain and hurt that, that many of you have been through here at the church. And, uh, and, and by the way, if you look to your right and left, you'll see people that are, have some pain today. Uh, we all have something in our life that kind of hurts. But as a church family, I think this church has been through a lot in, in, in the past couple of years at least. And I don't pretend to know that. I, I certainly didn't have the emotional investment from before. So, so I don't understand all that you might be feeling or, or not feeling uh, but, but I do know this, that happens, and, and I, I know that uh, I'm convinced that, or wouldn't have come, that God called me here to help us in that. And, I, and you know, I, I, preachers are their own worst critic, pastors, and, and so I'd be the same way, so I don't, I don't want to get off into that. But just to say, we still got a ways to go, and, and we won't do ourselves any good if we don't admit that. But, but there was a lot of things. I mean, there were two services going on simultaneously, two very different identities, and, and we, we sort of, instead of trying to grow that back together, we pushed that back together. And, and so that, there's, some, there's some folks that have left. Uh, I, I'm convinced. Some of their names I know, some of them I don't. But, but there's still a, a, a coming to a consensus that needs to happen. Now, I, I know you don't want to say amen, but if you can agree with what I'm saying, say, uh-huh. Okay, all right, just, that, that's good enough. Uh, that's right, preacher. Uh, but anyway, um, so, so I get that. And uh, here's the deal. I know Psalm 27 is not Ephesians. We'll get that, back to that next week. But I like to do the first Sunday of any year, kind of just talk about what I feel like God wants us to kind of think about all year long. Like, what are we looking at? What is the sense of what God wants? And uh, this verse... Uh, before has given had that same sense, but I felt the Lord just bring it back to me here. It's not I'm retreading it. I, I don't do that, but 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 this idea that because I believe this ought to be our lifelong deal. Listen, thank you, Austin, for leading us today on the piano and singing. That was that was God just really used that and 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 especially and I don't know who picked it. Mark might have picked it. You might have picked it. But anyway. Greatest High Faithfulness, top three hymns in my life. I mean, that, that's one of the big ones. And uh, it was the seminary I went to, was, we, they called it the unofficial Nash, uh, uh, alma mater song. I, I can't get the words out now. Um, but that song is very, very meaningful to me. And, and I just loved it. Great is thy faithfulness. I hope you were listening to that. And then we were worshiping the almighty God. And we're talking about the lion and the lamb and, and all of that. I think our overwhelming passion ought to be to God. Right? And, and we'll get to read this verse in a minute. And so we're going to talk about it. Because I, I'm calling this the one thing. And, and the one thing, I mean, what is the passion of your life is what I'm asking. I'm, I'm a very competitive person. And, and all my kids are competitive. My wife is competitive. Um, we, we take silly things very seriously when it comes to sports. I mean... There, there's no second place. There's only first loser. I mean, you know, you know, if you're not first, the scenery never changes. You know, I, I, we just kind of got that drive uh, to in that. And 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 as Christians, we baptize that. You don't you don't let that become a, a horrible thing. You you baptize that. And and so when you, once you baptize it, it means hey, we're going to be the best we can be. We're going to be excellent. We're going to be number one. But we want to help you to do the same thing. Uh, in our competitiveness, I want to help everybody to get to the same spot, to get to be the best God has created them to be and to do. And, and so that's the idea, but that starts with each one of us as individuals. We can't get that there as a body if we're not each one of us working toward that same goal. 
I don't know if you ever thought about it, but every molecule, every cell in your body is at work to keep you functioning. Every cell that has a different role or responsibility in your body, but it all is working for the same goal, is to make you be able to live in this world, in this environment in which we live. You can't live in outer space, you can't live in heaven, you got to live here, and your body is working to do that, Right? Okay, so we are the body of Christ. So we got a bunch of different cells in here. Different cells have different gifts, different abilities, different whatever. But we all should be working toward that one thing. All right, now let's look at the scripture. If you want to stand up, I'd appreciate it. You don't have to. It just helps you think better. If you fall asleep reading, read standing up. And I know it's really cold outside, but I'm feeling really warm, but that could just be me. So if, if nobody else is warm, don't worry about it. But if... Somebody can turn it down a little bit because everybody's hot. That'd be great. Verse 4, Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord. Notice that word Lord before I go on. In my English Bible, it's all capitals. L-O-R-D. Capital L-O, capital O, capital R, capital D. Which signifies that this was the Hebrew word for the very name of God. It's Yahweh or Jehovah, the God Almighty. One thing I've asked of God Almighty. That, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now I want you to notice the three things that he says. The one thing I desire, but yet he names three things. That I can dwell in God's house. And by the way, you're not in God's house. You're in a building. God's house is meeting in this building. And if you don't get that clear in your mind and truly believe that, you're never going to get anywhere with the Lord. Okay? We are his body. We, we are the house of God, okay? And, uh, and, and you can't do church under a tree or in a school and all that if you think you've got to have a dedicated auditorium that makes it a church. It is not that. It is us. So he wants to stay in the presence of God. That's what he's saying. I want to stay in the presence of God and his people and his body all the days of my life, starting now, not waiting on heaven. And then the second thing, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, that's worship. And I'm going to be talking about that in a minute. And then to inquire in his temple. That's to know his will so that you can do it. Okay? And David says, one thing I've asked of the Lord. And, and so let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this passage. Lord, I thank you for this one little verse in this great, great psalm of David that, that you inspired him to write. Which starts out that you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You're the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Lord, you are the almighty God. There is none except you. There's no one that even equals you. There's not even a second place with you. You are God all by yourself. You're God alone. And there's none other like you. We thank you that you revealed yourself to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray that this day we might worship you in spirit and in truth. That, Lord, the same spirit that inspired This word to be written, the Holy Spirit, who is amongst the body of Christ and in the body of Christ, will open our minds of understanding that we can understand what you're trying to tell us. And in understanding, also give us the grace, the power to obey. We thank you, Jesus, for purchasing this for us on the cross and rising from the dead. We thank you, Father, for this plan and for for your uh, willful sending of your Son and giving him control of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus has given us. That we might worship you in spirit. And given us the word that we might worship you in truth. And so Lord I pray that this day. 
the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, my God, my Savior, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all sit down. Uh, here, I always give you something I want you to take home with you, just a, a phrase to kind of help you remember. And this is what I've got today. There's only one consuming passion. Now, let me go ahead and admit that that phrase is a lie. That's not true. Uh, because there are many consuming passions. Okay? There are a lot of consuming passions in the world. There are people that have a consuming passion of, let's say, hunting or fishing. Or, or recreation of some sort. Um, there, there's, there are people com, uh, a consuming passion of uh, sewing clothes, making cakes, a, a job, family. Uh, I don't know. Gaining possessions. There are many consuming passions, probably millions of consuming passions in the world. So the way I should have written that is there should be only one consuming passion. Right? Or what is your consuming passion? But I don't like to ask questions. I like to make statements. So I said there's only one. But here's, here's the truth of that statement. In your life, there can only be one consuming passion. And when you understand what I mean by consuming passion, you understand why I say there can only be one. And it's this. You don't have room for two. And if God only comes first in your life, that means there is a number two. And number two is always competing to be number one. Please? Okay, amen? Always. And so, unless, and this is what the psalmist is saying, here's my consuming passion, to dwell in your house, to gaze on your face, to inquire in your temple. His consuming passion is to know God. That same school where we sang, Great is thy faithfulness, two or three times a week in chapel, also had written across the back wall, so that we were gazing at it every day in chapel, which was required, and they'd get, you get in trouble, you didn't go, to know him, to make him known. To know him. See, making him known is where we Baptists like to live. And all of a sudden, we're not making him known as effectively as we used to. And here's why we forgot the first part. To know him. To know him. You know that biblical word for know, it's, it's a lot more than just, oh yeah, I know him. I got a lot of people I know. I, I don't even know how many friends I got on Facebook, but I look at people on my Facebook line sometimes and go, who's this? I don't even know. I got to look them back up. Like, oh, that was a guy that knew a guy that I knew and I met him once. You know? But he's my friend. And, if, and kids, if you only grew up with friends on Facebook, I pity you. Um, because you don't know what friends are. Friends are those that come in when everybody else leaves, right? And to know someone means to be intimate, and, and intimacy means this, that there's nothing between us. And God desires intimacy with us. The only thing between us and God comes from us. You know, we love to quote the scripture in Isaiah um, that, that uh, God's arm is not short that it cannot save, nor is his ear deaf that he cannot hear. The next verse says, but your sins have separated you from God. So God had to deal with our sin, and in Christ he dealt with our sin so that we can have intimacy with God. And here's the deal. If you're trying to put on a show for God, just stop. Because you're wasting time and energy and resources because he already knows you. He, the Bible says in Hebrews 4 that this word of God can discern your thoughts and intentions of your heart. And he's just talking about his written word. The Bible also says that God knows your thoughts from afar before you think them. So God is the judge of our heart. God holds our heart in his hand. He knows us better than we know us. 
So if you have a relationship with God, quit trying to impress him. He don't need it. He knows what you are. He loves you anyway. There's nothing you're going to do to make him quit loving you. And you can have intimacy with God. You can go to God and say, man, I really blew it. I guess you were watching that. Here's what I did because I need to admit it to you even though you already know it. But I don't want to do that again. And that's what repentance is and turning away from that to the cross that paid for your sin. Y'all got to encourage me a little bit. I had the flu last week. I'm not, not this week, but I'm going to keep milking that as long as I can. Um, so this verse is, David is saying, there's one thing. Think about who's saying this. This king who had everything. In another place he said, whom have I in heaven but thee and besides thee there's nothing on earth I desire. I mean, this is David. And he's saying, I, there's only one thing I want. And that's to dwell in God's house. To gaze upon his beauty. Inquire at his temple. And so, I, as I think about that, and as I think about Calvary, I think about, well, we need to be one. And we need to have one thing in all of our lives, right? One thing. There's only one way. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One is the number that is good in the Christian life. There's only one. And if you stay with that, you don't get distracted by number two and three and four and five because number one is it. And for you, that's all there is. There is no number two. God is number one, period. That's it. And to please him is your consuming passion. But as I thought about that, I thought about, well, the church, how do we revolve around God being our consuming passion? And that is to know his purpose for the church, right? If you don't know why you're here, you, you can't have the consuming. The consuming passion is to know God and to be intimate with him. But out of that flows, why didn't he go ahead and take us to heaven? As long as he leaves you here, he's got a purpose for your life. My dad went through Alzheimer's. My mom did, went through some sort of mental dementia as well. And there comes a point where you go, why are they still here? You have to ask yourself that question. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've seen that in a loved one. Maybe you're going through it. I'll tell you why. Because God's got something there that he wants to get glory from. He wants to give somebody an opportunity to serve. He wants to give somebody an opportunity to worship by giving of their best to someone who can't pay them back. Right? So there's always a purpose. There's always a reason. So what's the purpose of the church? Well, this church has defined that. It's been defining it for years. Before I came, y'all already had it. And when I read what yours was, it was the same as mine. I was like, cool. So I'm just going to tell you what you already told me, okay? This morning, but we're going to talk about what it means. First of all, I think we ought to have be one in our worship. Now, this is, this is where a lot of the, the dissatisfaction, I don't know if that's the right word, but, but the, the, the rubbing together is tough for people, is in worship. And, and, and guess what? That's not new. I'm not sure exactly when history it started, but we can read about it in the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s. Why did people come to America? Because people across the ocean didn't like the way they worshipped. So they come to America to worship differently. I love talking about people don't sin the way I do. And we love complaining about people don't worship the way I do. I mean, I, 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 I try to only be critical of Baptists because I are one, and I don't think I have the right to be critical of others. Now, if it's heresy and error, I want to correct that. But, you know, some people don't like excited worship, you know. 
You can call it Pentecostal, charismatic, church of God, whatever you want to call it. Y'all know they're going to heaven. If they don't run past, they're going to heaven. (laughs) And then we tease about the Presbyterians being God's chosen, frozen, you know. They're a little more quiet and subdued. I used to have a Presbyterian friend came all the time, and he would tease me about us Baptists being all excited. I think we're that excited, but to him we were. That's okay. That's fine. He's going to heaven, too. He loves the Lord, knows the Lord, right? Guess what? Baptists don't have it all right, either. I don't even want to get started on our problems as a family, but anyway. So, guess what? Our style of worship is not important, but what is worship is. And yesterday I was reading Oswald Chambers, as I do every morning. And the opening paragraph, I went, wow, God just, this is timely. It's, I, I said, i got to read this opening paragraph to everybody. So, forgive me for reading. Worship is giving God the best he has given you. That's a great statement. Now listen to him unpack it. It gets a little tougher. Be careful what you do with the best you have. Whenever you get a blessing from God, give it back to him as a love gift. Take time to meditate before God and offer the blessing back to him in a deliberate act of worship. If you hoard a thing for yourself, it will turn into spiritual dry rot as the manna did when it was hoarded. God will never let you hold a spiritual thing for yourself. It has to be given back to him that he may make it a blessing to others. Anytime we find ourselves, because, let me stop myself for a second. We think coming in here on Sunday morning, dressing up, coming, singing songs, listening to me preach, going to Sunday school, whatever. This is, we, what do we call this? This is the worship service, right? And so we think just by showing up and participating, we've worshiped, but we haven't. Now, you may have, and that's, it's a possibility, but the fact that we're doing it doesn't make it worship. It's, it's that heart, where you're coming from in your heart. You following me? So you can worship God in ways that you've never even imagined because you haven't lived in different cultures, different places, with different things. Most of us grew up in a kind of homogenous place with the kind of people like us. And, and even our church, every, we're all kind of alike. Man, you bring some stuff that's radically different and it just kind of rocks the boat. And so sometimes we, don't, we intentionally don't do things that are radically different just so we don't rock the boat. But if you keep doing the same thing just because you've always done it that way, you're in a rut. And you know what a rut is? It's a grave with both ends knocked out. And when you finally quit breathing, you ain't have to bury you. You're already in the grave. You just stop moving and they throw dirt on top of you. Everything is in a constant state of change. But our devotion to God never changes. Our God, this is my one passion. My one desire is to know you. To dwell in your house. You know, it'd be weird if I said, I don't know my kids. They, they grew up in my house. Are they different than me? Way different. They have different ideas, different thoughts, but I know them. It'd be weird if I said, I don't know my wife, lived with her for 30 years now. Yeah, I, I barely know her. Well, in a sense, I, I'm a guy and she's a gal, so, you know, <laughs> I barely know her because I'm, as Proverbs says, I'm more stupid than any man. So I get that. You know, her verses in Job, even your breath is offensive to me. But anyway. That's in the Bible, y'all. I'm just telling you, you do look it up. 
<laughs> but we, spend, we ought to spend a lifetime. And so when we come together, our goal ought not to be that we do things the way that I like, but my goal ought to be to turn over to God all that I am. Because let me redefine what Oswald was saying in, in a way that I understand worship. Worship is when I surrender to God everything I've ever been, everything I am, everything I have, everything I ever will be, or everything I will ever have, and I surrender it to Him. There's not a hero in the Bible that didn't do that. Not one. That did not at some point give to God everything. And so Romans 12, 1 and 2 summarizes that. Present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service of worship. And if you're going to put your body on an altar of sacrifice, you better prepare for the altar to get a little warm. Because he's going to consume you. Let me give you some big examples. Moses carrying a rod. God says, throw it down. Threw it down, became a snake, said, pick it up. Moses said, I don't want to because we don't pick up snakes around here. And he said, go ahead. So he picked it up, turned back to a rod. Okay, you know that story. You turn the page and it says, so Moses left with his family, his kids and all that to go to Egypt. And he took Aaron, he took this and that. And it says, and he took the rod of God. It's no longer the rod of Moses. Now it's the rod of God. Peter was a fisherman. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. John 13, Jesus is risen from the dead. Peter, being ADD and ADHD probably, looks at everybody and goes, I can't sit around in this upper room, I'm going fishing. They said, we're going with you. And he toiled all night and caught nothing. And the next day, Jesus stood on the shore and said, you didn't catch anything, did you? I told you to put those nets down, and I didn't tell you to pick them back up. I told you to pick them up to fish for men. Now, that's Stuart paraphrase right there. You're not going to find that in the Scripture, but that's basically what Jesus told him. You see, every hero in the Bible, Paul, intellect out the craziness, Jew of Jews, he's the greatest rabbi alive. He knows more. He knows Roman culture. He knows Jewish culture. He knows Hebrew and Greek and Latin and everything in between. He can quote philosophers from Crete. I mean, I mean, and poets. He's just an amazing, brilliant dude. But he got Christianity wrong and God knocks him down. And he says to the guy that has to go tell him what's going on. I'm showing him what he's going to have to suffer for my sake. And Paul could never pick that intellect back up and claim what he wanted to say. He had to say what God wanted him to say. And he says in one of his books, I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Every hero of the Bible gave up everything they had to God for God to, which is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, to break it, bless it, and give it back. That's what worship is. And if you think coming to church and singing some songs in whatever style you happen to like is worship, you're sadly mistaken. Now, you can sing a song and worship to God. It's an expression of worship. But worship should have happened in your heart before you ever got here. You should have been totally surrendered to God, totally surrendered to His will. And God, whatever way you do it, it'll be all right with me. And that is what worship is. And we've got to come to that place. Because worship is about God. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But worship is the privilege of the body of Christ. It's not that you can worship. It's you get to worship. 
Because sinful man has no right to worship a holy God. And if he had not redeemed you, you couldn't even worship him. Now I know it's coming today. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's going to be forced. We get to do it now for free. We get to do it now in love because he loved us and redeemed us. And the body of Christ ought to be worshipers of God. How did Jesus worship? He gave everything he had up. He gave up everything he owned to God. And the Bible says he entrusted himself. It says in Psalm, and it also tells us in Romans, that he gave everything up to God and he entrusted himself to the one who could raise him from the dead. And he said, I give up my life. And he laid down. And if God hadn't raised him from the dead, he wouldn't have come back. But the Bible says uh, that the same Holy Spirit in Romans uh, 8 that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so God had to come down into that tomb and raise him from the dead. It was a promise of God and he was trusting it. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. Jesus worshiped by surrendering everything he had and everything he was that he could save us. And that's what he asked of us. If you think Christianity was coming forward in a church service and filling out a card, <laughs> got news for you. And so he calls us to be a worshiping body. And so we've got to redefine worship or we're going to keep fighting over it. Worship's not about singing a song or how I preach. It's not about how your teachers teach. It's not about what we wear. It's not about the building we meet in. Worship is something that happens in me before I ever show up with you. And if you're not worshiping at home, you're not going to worship very well here. That's an amen. Thank you. Somebody said it. Okay, so I'll get off of that because I could go on that all day. One in ministry. And time's going to get away from me. We ought to be one in ministry. You know, the body takes care of itself. We minister to ourselves. But we ought to be ministering to others as well. By the way, these two ideas are right there in Matthew 22 when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, the greatest is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. A vertical relationship with God, a horizontal relationship with people. And so we are to minister to people. But let me add real quickly, the third purpose of Calvary is also to do evangelism. And I appreciate the hearing about the women's shelter today and how we're ministering there. Because um, this, uh, in ministry, the body is taking care of others, but in evangelism... We are reproducing children for the kingdom of God. Um, because the will of God is that we spread his gospel. And the reason I want to go ahead and mention it is because ministry is, it can be an introduction into evangelism. But they are different. Ministry is when I just meet your physical needs. I like to say meeting needs with love. That's ministry. Evangelism is what I tell you about the Lord. But let's, let me just say something. If somebody is starving... They can hear about the Lord better if I give them a sandwich. Okay? So to minister their need without telling them about Jesus is eternally fatal. But to tell them about Jesus without helping meet their needs is a cruelty. We need to do both. Don't confuse the two. But we got to do both. Let me say something about the millennials. I don't know, some of y'all may not have heard that phrase. I, I, I think you should have because it's all over. But, and some of you are millennials. Love you guys. Again, the next generation has been criticized since as long as I can remember. I mean, Adam and Eve had cable, cane and cable. They should have gotten direct TV, but they got cable. 
sorry, Cain and Abel. That was a mix of the two names. Well, actually, as soon as they were able, they raised a little Cain. But anyway, <laughs> Cain and Abel, and Cain messed up. So, and I, hey, I might have eaten some fruit in the garden, but I never killed my brother. This young generation, what are we going to do with them? So you get criticism. Well, so has every generation before you, so quit whining. Some of your criticism is deserved. Some of it's not. But let me tell all of us something about the millennial generation. It comes from my son who is in that generation. Before he left home one day, I was talking to him about something I wanted to do. And I hadn't done it. I still haven't done it. I may never do it because it's not that big a deal. But I was talking about it and I was just going on and on about it as I like to do. And he looked at me and said, Dad, don't talk about it. Be about it. That defines the millennial generation. They don't want to come to church talk about evangelism. They don't want to come to a conference on how to do evangelism. They don't want to go to a word book study on missions. What they want to do is go work at the women's shelter. What they want to do is get out there on the streets in Stanton and minister to people during the Harry Potter festival or during the Christmas parade or during some other event. That is what our young, younger people would love to do. And sitting around and talking about it doesn't impress them. I am a great talker about it. They are great doers about it. And in, unless we figure a way to unleash them, they're going to go find some place where they can be unleashed. And that includes in the church too, by the way. And so we've got to minister and we've got to evangelize. And by the way, once I get an evangelism, I'm just talking about Matthew 28, going to all the world and make disciples of all the nations. The next thing there's a purpose of this church is fellowship. we got to be one in fellowship. Because life alone, lived alone, leads to an early death. If you, if you don't get around people and, and, and live with people and get to know people, you will die sooner than if you do, according to statistics. In other words, we need each other. God meant for us to do life together. When we do it all by ourselves... Uh, we, we're not very effective. I mean, you can't have a baby all by yourself. It takes two people to make that baby, right? And so as we're one in ministry, as we're one in evangelism, we need each other to do that because if we don't reproduce ourselves, we're going to die. And God's will is the spread of the gospel. So we got to be together in doing that. we got to know each other. We've got to understand each other. That's fellowship. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, bringing them into the body and beginning to live life together. And then the next thing is we got to be one in discipleship. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Notice that, teaching them to observe. Teaching them to do it, not teaching them how to do it. Doing it with them. Getting it done. Because a lack of training leads to a lack of workers. How are you going to have anybody come in and do what you do unless you teach them how to do it? Right? And so we got to have that. And by the way, that discipline... Or discipling, it also means spiritual discipline. Because if we don't discipline our kids, we raise anarchists. Right? They're born anarchists. we got to discipline that out of them. The Bible says the rod of correction, it says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And the rod of correction drives it far from him. Now, I'm not talking about just beating a kid. I'm talking about discipling, disciplining. And I need discipline. We need to be fasting. You ought to fast once a week, once a month, something. Once a year. I, I, I didn't prepare it all. I won't do it this year, but I'll just throw it out there in case you want to do it. 
we all just fast 40 days this year sometime, whether all at once or a couple days a month or whatever, a few days a month, once a week, a day. Just to tell God, God, I'm serious about knowing you. And I'm going to give up food just so I can spend an extra hour in prayer every day or that day. I did this once and I fasted 40 days. I told you about that. I tried it again, but I, I, I didn't have my mindset right and I wasn't able to do it. But one time I accomplished that. And you say, oh, well, congratulations. What are you saying? I'm saying I'm a diabetic. I fasted 40 days. Didn't eat anything solid for 40 days. So you can do it. I'm just saying, don't come to me with your excuse. I'll tell you that there's something spiritual about fasting that science knows not of. And God wants us to do those disciplines. So discipleship, you know, where are you in studying and knowing your, the Word of God? Where are you in meeting God in His Word? Because this is what reveals Him to us. Where are you in prayer and speaking to God? Where are you in coming to church and supporting the work of the church and getting involved in the work of the church? And, and then... We got to be one in prayer. We got to seek his will, not his blessing. I pray that God helps me to quit doing something I do all the time. And that is, I start asking God to bless me and my son, me and my wife, my son John and his wife, us four no more. I ask God to bless what I'm trying to do. That is idolatry and blasphemy all at the same time. Because I've made an idol out of what I'm doing. And I'm asking God to bless it, and he never promised that. What he promised to do is bless what he's doing around me and in me. So my prayer needs to be, what is thy will, Father? And again, Jesus is our example. At the end of his life, he said, I've done everything you sent me to do. How, did, how could Jesus say he'd accomplished everything? He had fed hungry, but there were still hungry people. He'd raised the dead, there were still dead people. He had healed the sick, yet there were still sick people. And yet, at the end of his life, he says, I've done everything you sent me to do. My point is this. God didn't send you to do everything, but he sent you to do something. And at the end of your life, if you have the opportunity to know you're dying, and not everybody does, what will your thought be? Man, what a great life. I lived out a consuming passion. Or will you say the consuming passion for which I lived out my life was pointless? Because the moment after you die, you step before an almighty God and give an account for the life you lived. And in my book, where I'm coming from, for me, for Stuart, anything less than exactly what God wants for me is too little. It's not enough. Remember, I'm competitive. And I want to be the best steward God made me to be. And trust me, I'm still working on that one. But I want to strive to be what God wants me to be. And I pray that God want to put in your heart to strive to be what God, that you will want to be what God wants you to be. So we got to seek God more. So what is the one thing for you? I told you. It's to dwell in his house. That means to be in fellowship together. God expects us to be one body with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Savior of us all. And he expects us to gaze upon his face, to worship him, to say, you alone are worthy for me to give up my life. I give up everything for you. And then thirdly, to inquire in his temple, to seek his will for our lives. Remember, Jesus did everything as a man, and that's why in the garden he said, hey, is there any other way to do this? I don't want to go to the cross. Nevertheless, 
Not my will, but thine be done. God's the original seal. You don't have to like it, you just got to do it. And Jesus, though, it scared him to be very broad and general in my words here. I don't know if he had fear like we say fear, but he looked at that cross and he didn't want to be separated from his father. If there's another way, Father, I would rather do that. But not my will, thine be done. And he went to the cross for us. So what's he going to ask you to do that beats that? To be separated from his father. So what can you do about it this week? First of all, set goals do this in your personal life. Like I said earlier about worship, if you're not doing these things at home, coming to church, it ain't going to help you much. Or you won't do them as well here. So set goals to do these things in your life. To worship God at home. To minister to others from your home. To tell people about Christ. To create fellowship with other believers. To help someone. To teach them. To help them grow. And to pray and ask God, what is your will? What can I do today? What is it you want of me? Then secondly, let's set goals to do all these things together as a body. Let's decide that after all, we are Calvary Baptist Church. And like it or not, we all on the same ark. You know, they said if it hadn't been for the storm outside, they couldn't have stood the stink inside. On the ark, there's a storm out there, folks. There's a world lost, dying, and going to hell. We have an enemy. That's what we're talking about in Ephesians. We'll come back to that next week. Who wants to kill us. He wants to slaughter us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to embarrass us and humiliate us and take us down. Well, the only person I got helping me is you. And the only person you got helping you is me, each other, all of us. So, you got my back? I like the military term, I got your six. You don't even have to turn around and see what's behind you. I'll take care of that part. And we've got to take care of each other's blind spots, each other's needs. So we got to do that together as a body. And then thirdly... Decide to set an early time to go dwell in God's house. Wake up in his house. Gaze upon his beauty, his holiness, his face, and inquire in his temple. I don't know if you have a daily time with God, a devotion time. Uh, I try to do that every day. I started writing something on Facebook every day. And so that I would grab a tiger by the tail and I can't let go. Uh, while I was gone, I kept doing it, and people usually comment, nobody commented, and I thought, hmm, nobody's reading it, and then I realized it wasn't going out to everybody, so I had to redo all that, but I appreciate the fact that somebody's reading it, and I know they are, and so I keep doing it. It's a great external motivation for me. Now, I don't know what your motivation might be. I live with one of my motivations, because she's going to do it, and if she don't see me doing it, she's going to ask me, when are you doing that, because I didn't see you do it today. That's a great motivation. i got to give her an honest answer. Well, I did it in the office. Let me call Katie. What did he do when he got there? No, she doesn't do that. I'm just teasing. But it is a motivation. You find a motivation. Get up. Read a verse. Pray to God. If you don't do it at all, get up. Read a Set your clock 10 minutes earlier, 5 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier. Get up. Read a verse. Talk to God before you get started, before you do anything else. Maybe you're already doing it. Grow. Expand in that. Worship God more and better because... There was some famous preacher, I don't know what he, which one, but he said this. I got so much to do, today, to do today, I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. Hopefully we can get to that place 
individually and then together.